So people have a fascination with the miraculous, don't they? I mean, people just really have this um, wonder about the miraculous. But depending on who you talk to, it can mean very different things when you talk about the miraculous, right? I mean, from Al Michaels with his call in the U.S. Olympic ice hockey victory over the Soviet Union with his legendary call, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Uh, it's iconic, this uh, call that he made. Uh, and you can go from there all the way to me rinsing my plate after dinner and putting it in the dishwasher and hearing Melissa exclaim, it's a miracle. You know, I mean, these things happen. Uh, but we use the word frequently. But when the Bible talks about the miraculous, we're talking about something beyond extraordinary, something impossible. Uh, we're talking about something rule-breaking. And we're going to be talking about miracles for the next several weeks. And I want to start off at the beginning of this first message by making sure we're all coming from the same place that we all have a same understanding of what the miraculous means. And I've been using personally the same definition for miracle since I was a youth pastor. And obviously that was a long, long time ago. But this is what I taught my students and I still teach it this way today. When God created the world, he created the physical laws that govern our universe. In fact, before he formed the sun and the moon and the earth, before he formed all of that, the first words he spoke into creation was let there be light. And interestingly enough, the speed of light is a universal constant that really governs all of the physical laws that we know in our world. The entire world of physics is based on that constant, which is the speed of light. And so I believe on the first day of creation, when God spoke those words, let there be light, he set in order everything that would be and created these physical laws that would control the universe and set things in motion. And uh, those rules are unchanging still to today. But sometimes God does change the rules. And when he does... That is a miracle. A miracle is God changing the rules that he put in place. Uh, a miracle is something that could not have happened without God acting outside of the rules that he created in the first place. So that's my definition of a miracle. It's something that could not have happened without God acting outside of the rules he created in the first place. So a miracle is just not something unlikely a miracle is something that would have been impossible without God's intervention, without God's action. And the pages of scripture are filled with stories of the miraculous. And it's part of what makes the word of God so captivating, so compelling for us. Because we're drawn to these incredible accounts of God's power being demonstrated, aren't we? I mean, we love to read these stories. And even though miracles come in all shapes and all sizes... Some performed by God alone, just acting from heaven. Other miracles, God uses a person to bring that miracle about. Each miracle can be put into one of four categories. And this is not, this is not in scripture. You're not going to find these four categories in scripture. It's something I just came up with that I think are four good buckets that we can put miracles in to kind of categorize and describe what those different miracles are. And so the first type of miracle that we find in scripture is miracles of protection. 
miracles of protection. And this is thing, these are things like the parting of the Red Sea, allowing uh, the children of Israel during the Exodus to pass through and protect them from the Egyptian army. Uh, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace and God protecting them uh, from the flames and they came out without even their, their clothing being singed. Uh, so those are miracles of protection. Another uh, type of miracle that we see are miracles of provision. Now, this is where God provides for his children, provides for his people. Uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and God sent manna from heaven, uh, that manna was a miracle of provision. It provided for their needs. When Jesus was calling Peter and Andrew and he said, hey, put your net down on the other side of the boat and they hauled in fish that just were full and overflowing the net. That was a miracle of provision for them. Uh, another type of miracle that we see are miracles of restoration. Now, these are healing miracles. Jairus's daughter, which we talked about in the Bible study yesterday, Jairus's daughter being raised from the dead. We have lepers being healed. I, we, all through the Gospels, we see these miracles of restoration as demons are cast out of people and people are restored to wholeness. So there are these miracles of restoration. And I would say probably these are the miracles. Restoration and provision are probably the two miracles that people seek God for the most today uh, in our world and in our culture. And then finally, the fourth category is what I would call miracles of demonstration. Miracles of demonstration. These are miracles that are purely designed to demonstrate the power of God and his authority and his sovereignty. An example of this is when Elijah is squaring off against the prophets of Baal and Elijah calls fire down from heaven and it consumes not only the sacrifice, but the altar and all the water that they had poured as well. That was a miracle of demonstration where God demonstrated his authority and his power. Uh, and so every miracle that you read about, that you see, I would say every miracle can be put into one or more of these categories. Sometimes they can be put into multiple categories. Something can demonstrate the power of God and provide at the same time. But these four categories, I believe, cover the totality of the miraculous that we see at work in Scripture and in our world today. And we love to hear about the incredible blessing that miracles were all throughout Scripture. But at the same time, we have to recognize that they weren't always a blessing to everyone. Miracles can also destroy. They're not all positive to everyone all the time. Fire raining down on the evil ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a miracle. But I doubt you would get too many people from Sodom and Gomorrah saying, boy, that was a really fun miracle to witness. You know, the flood that destroyed everyone on earth except Noah and his family was a miracle. Now that, that flood was a miracle of restoration. It restored the earth to the wholeness that God had intended. A miracle though was not always pleasant to everyone involved. Uh, sometimes miracles have a negative outcome to some of the people that are facing them. And sometimes miracles get in the way. We're gonna be talking about an example of that last kind today, a miracle that gets in the way. Uh, more of that in a few minutes. But before we get there, I want to challenge you with a few thoughts. Some of you have been waiting for a miracle for a long time. 
You've been seeking God for a miracle. And throughout this series, I truly believe that God is going to be moving in your life. He's going to be moving in your family. He's going to be moving in your career. He's going to be moving in your ministry in miraculous and powerful ways. I am praying every day about this. During my prayer time, I am focusing, I'm praying for the miraculous to be unleashed in our church and in your life and in your family. And as our faith is refocused and our prayers are united and our desires are in alignment with his, God moves. So let's stop, even as we jump into this message, let's stop and pray and ask God to bring to us a unity of faith to our Trilogy family as we head into this really, really important series for us. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now in the, at the beginning of this message uh, in this series on miracles. And I believe you, this is the topic that you have planned for us since the beginning of the year. You've laid it on my heart for this month uh, that we would be talking about the miraculous. And God, I pray that this series would not just be an exercise in talking about the miraculous, but God, it would be helping us understand how we can position ourselves better to see the miraculous performed in us and through us. And God, I, I ask that that exact thing would happen. God, let the miraculous be unleashed in Trilogy. Let us see your power poured out, God, to provide, to protect, to restore, and to demonstrate your authority. God, let us see that happen in our lives. And God, use us however you see fit to make that happen. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn to Numbers 22 if you want to look along with me. I'll have the scriptures on the screen so you don't have to do that. But we're going to be in Numbers 22 and let's do this thing. Let me give you a little bit of backstory to what we're going to be talking about today. Israel is wandering through the wilderness as they were for uh, a long, long time. And they are camped on the plains of Moab. And Balak, who is the king of Moab, is afraid of them. Because the Israelites have just got done defeating the Amorites in a big way, in a very public way. So the Amorites have gone down and now the king of Moab is terror. He's living in terror of the Israelites. So the Israelites, they, they kind of have some ancient mojo going on here. And the neighboring countries are a little bit fearful of who they are. Like, who is this new country that's coming into town? Uh, I don't know, but I know they took them out and they were powerful. So I don't want to really get messed up with them. So the next thing you know, Balak, who's the king of Moab, is reaching out to a non-Israelite prophet of God named Balaam. Okay, so this was a prophet of God who followed the one true God, but he was not an Israelite. And Balaam reaches out to, or Balak reaches out to Balaam to curse the people of Israel. He wants to hire him to come and be his envoy to go curse the nation of Israel as a prophet of God. And this is a very interesting battle plan to me because I'm thinking if you've got this extra cash to hire this dude to go curse them, why don't you just hire some mercenary soldiers to do your fighting for you? But superstitions run pretty high in this culture at this time in history. So he sends his delegation to go get Balaam with a divination fee to come and curse the people of Israel. So that's where we find ourselves and, and we pick up the story in Numbers 22 uh, verse 18 is where we're going to start reading. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, 
I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, I got to stop right here uh, because this, this, this verse is kind of a sermon within my sermon, okay? Uh, so I'm going to tangent just a little bit, but this is quite a statement that Balaam makes here. He says, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. His confidence is anchored in the word of the Lord. And I think we always have to be very mindful and very careful of this. Our confidence is not in our ability, is it? I sure hope not. You know, our confidence is not in our circumstances. Look at the world around you. I sure hope not. Our confidence is anchored in one place, and that is in the word of God. That is where our confidence has to be. We're reading through the entire Bible uh, together as a church this year. And we're using version. And if you have not been on this reading plan with us, you haven't been following along, you haven't been reading uh, with, with us what the rest of us are reading, please let me know. Reach out to me. Just post something in Trilogy Life. I'd love to connect you to that reading plan and you can join us where we're at. Just jump in. The water's fine. Uh, but one of my favorite verses so far, we read about a month ago. And that's found Jeremiah 1.12. I want you to hear this. And the Lord said, that's right, and it means that I am watching, and I will certainly carry out all my plans. I will certainly carry out all my plans. I read that, and it got in my spirit, and I am, I am walking around with some holy confidence these days. And I'll tell you why. Because God is watching God is not looking away. God has not forgotten me. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten your family. He hasn't forgotten trilogy. God is watching. God has a plan. He's watching over his word. He's watching over his plans and he will see it through. He will carry it out. His word does not return empty. That's one of the promises that the Bible teaches us. So that's why it is so important that we are reading through the Bible because we need to claim and live according to these promises. We need to stand on them. We need something to stand on. We need to know that the Lord, what the Lord is watching over, as he said in this verse. He's watching over and he will carry out all of his plans. We need to know what that is. Some of us have no idea what he's carrying out, what he's performing, or why, because we aren't reading the word. It's not a regular discipline in our lives. We have to be reading the Bible, church, every day. It gets into our spirit. We begin claiming these promises. We begin to live by faith, and we begin to see God move in miraculous ways. It's, it's tied to what we're talking about today. I believe the miraculous happens as a result of the promises of God's word. But we need to know what those are. Earlier this week, I was meeting with, with Sean and he was talking about the reading plan. We were having a conversation about it. And he said that several times this year, he's gotten behind. And I love what he said next. He said this, he said, getting behind is not as important to him as continually moving forward. He said, you know what? It really doesn't bother me that I've gotten behind because what matters to me is that I'm reading, that I will finish the plan. I may not finish it on December 31, may finish it January 15th, may finish it January 31st. It doesn't matter. What's important is that he's reading and that he will finish. And I want to challenge you to do the same. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. 
This is not about this. Get the word in you. That's what matters. If you get behind, so what? Don't let the devil beat you up and say, well, you got behind, you're worthless, you're not reading what everybody else is reading, so just stop. No, this is not a legalistic competition. This is not to see how you can keep up with everybody else. This is a spiritual discipline that we're participating in together. And that's the power of it. So please join us in reading the Bible every day together. If you want to jump into that reading plan with us, I encourage you to do it. There's power in doing things together in unity. And since I mentioned Sean, I also have to mention this. Let me also throw this in there. I'm friends on Uversion with his middle school daughter, Anne Berlin, and about once a week, my phone blows up with notifications that she is creating scripture pictures. Usually four to five at a time, she gets some background and she puts the scripture on it. And these are verses that mean a lot to her. And every time she creates, when I get a notification on my phone, she has created a scripture picture for this verse. I can't tell you how much I love getting those notifications. That means the world to me, that our kids and that our students are reading God's word on a regular basis and are gaining a foundation for their lives. It is so critical that they do that because that's what God's word is. It's our foundation. It's a place that we can stand. Now, here's, here's an illustration for you because sometimes we need a, a word picture to help us, right? In the Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman version of Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, great cinematic piece that it was, there's a scene where Robin Hood first meets Little John, okay? And Little John and his band of outlaws are trying to get Robin to pay a tax to cross a bridge, okay? And Robin refuses to pay the tax and they scuffle and they end up falling into this stream, right? And they begin to wrestle in the water and it leads to this dialogue. Robin is holding him by the, and he's, Little John is thrashing about, Robin's holding him by his coat and he says, do you yield? Little John says, I can't swim. And Robin says, do you yield? And after sputtering in the water for a while and thrashing about, he says, yes, I yield. And Robin says, good, then put your feet down. And he stands up. The water was only about four feet deep the whole time. And so we have this moment where he realizes that there was something to stand on the entire time. And it's a perfect illustration for a lot of people because Here's what life is. You're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming or maybe you're drowning and drowning and sputtering and coming to the end of your strength. And then you come to a promise in God's word and it gives you a place to stand. And God says, here, you can put your feet down here. This will support you. This will strengthen you. This will encourage you. Something solid underneath you. And when we yield to God's word and its authority in our lives, we now have a foundation to stand on, and that is why we need to be reading the word. So please join me in that. Okay, I told you it was a sermon within a sermon. Now back to your, your, your regular sermon already in progress. Uh, so what Balaam is getting at is we stand on the word of God, nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. It's our confidence. The reason we believe in God for miracles is not because of something we can do, it's because we're standing on his word. We're standing on his promises. That's why we can believe for the miraculous. 
So let's continue in Numbers 22 now. Uh, verse 20. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now that's kind of a curious command, right? Uh, so let me put this in context. Balaam had asked God earlier in the chapter if he could go with this delegation. He's like, God, can I go? And I, I think he's thinking that this might be his big break, right? Maybe he's kind of an unknown prophet or well, he's not really unknown. He's kind of a big deal. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been summoned by the king of Moab. Uh, but he's kind of a big deal. But I mean, this is kind of his big break, a house full of gold and silver. And he wants to go back and, and go with them. And God says no. And Balaam, you know, goes back to God, please, pretty please, God, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. And according to Jewish tradition, this is going to be significant here. Balaam's desire to go, once again, according to Jewish tradition, Balaam's desire to go indicated his eagerness to, one, curse Israel, and two, to make some cash. So that was Balaam's motivation uh, that's the story behind the story. That's the Jewish understanding of what is going on here. So it's not that he is going with this delegation that is a problem. It's his attitude that he has as he goes that is the problem. How many times in our lives is that true? The action that we're doing is not an issue, but the attitude that we have as we do it is the issue. And that sets the table for what happens next in verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. And this is interesting because God had just said he could go, but I think it's the attitude that's going on inside of Balaam that is causing the problem. God said he could go, but do only what I tell you, but Balaam has every intention of doing what the king of Moab is going to ask him to do. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now, if you've never heard this story, this is where it kind of goes off the rails. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field and Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. This is the ancient equivalent of road rage, okay? Balaam is experiencing uh, donkey road rage here. And so that's, that's what he's going through. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now, I told you, this is where it gets a little crazy, right? I want to hit the pause button here because this is just way too good. All right, you've got to give Balaam the benefit of the doubt here. I've never had one of my animals talk to me and I'm not sure how I would respond if they did. Okay, I can't say for sure. But part of what I love about this, okay, we know the donkey's a she, right? Because scripture refers to it as, as, as a female. So we'll, we'll call her Jenny. Is that okay? All right, so we have this donkey named Jenny. 
And I'm hearing kind of, I'm hearing one of these, like if you've ever set your GPS to like the, the female British accent, that's kind of the voice I'm hearing coming out of Jenny the talking donkey here. Uh, just to highlight how absurd this is, yes, Balaam's donkey talks, and that's a whole new level of different and weird here. But in verse 29, just to make it even more weird, Balaam talks back. Now here is where things get fun. Numbers 22, 29. Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. I mean, seriously, you can't make this stuff up. And this, <laughs> this, is, this is a biblical historical account of what happened between Balaam and his donkey. Dude, you've got a talking donkey on your hands, Balaam. You do not want to kill a talking donkey. You don't need Balak's money anymore. You've got a traveling carnival. You've got a gig in Vegas. You're gonna retire early. Don't kill the donkey. Put this thing on the road. This makes no financial sense. You don't wanna kill the talking donkey. And I love the donkey's response here. It is so logical. The donkey is the rational one in this conversation, okay? Numbers 22, verse 30. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Now, I don't know Balaam, but I, I think he's pouting. Like, I know you're right. I'm just going to have to admit it. But he says no. Like, he couldn't come up with a better answer. I love so many things about this. But part of what I love is this. Balaam is the most respected prophet in this part of the ancient world, and he's dumber than a donkey. I mean, does that encourage anybody else? That encourages me, okay? This is, this is the prophet of the day, and he's arguing with a donkey, okay? I'm feeling pretty good. Numbers 22, 31 to 35. Let's, let's read some more of this. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road, with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to block your way because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. And here's one of my favorite verses in this whole story, but I would have spared her. <laughs> Love that. Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to block my way. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. Same message that he was given back there. But now God gives him another opportunity to go with that understanding and with that intention and motivation. Same action continues but the motivation and intention have changed. And can I suggest this morning that many of us get as ticked off and as frustrated as Balaam because we can't seem to get where we want to go and all the while it might be God who is getting in the way. How many times do we make plans? Do we have maybe not the best motivations or intentions? And we get frustrated in life because things don't seem to be going the way we think they should. And all the while, it, 
it's really, it's a miracle of God blocking our path. The miracle in this story is not just the talking donkey. The miracle in this story is a God who gets in the way because he loves us enough to do it. It's not about where we are going. It's about who we are becoming in the process. The miracle is about God doing a work in us and God uses these circumstances. And I think that's going to make a lot of sense to us in a few minutes because sometimes God stops us, diverts us, reroutes us, and we get so frustrated because we, now, we know how it should be. We know where we're supposed to go. We know the trajectory of our lives and what, how it's supposed to play out, right? I mean, we've got plans. But did we ever consult God on those plans? Did we ever ask God what his will was? I think what we have in this story is something that if we can get a handle on this, we're going to begin to get a handle on the way God works in our lives. And it's going to set us free to experience a lot more joy, even in those circumstances that are sometimes really, really frustrating. Sometimes miracles come in strange packages. Uh, they come disguised. You know, we, we can refer to this as the braying miracle as this donkey. Uh, and, and we don't know, maybe the donkey never really spoke. Maybe he just talked donkey and uh, he was given the gift of interpretation and God translated donkey into his human ears. I don't know how it played out. Maybe everybody else uh, who was near heard the donkey talking. We don't know. Uh, but this is a miracle and God got in the way. Now, pastoral transparency moment for you. One of the more frustrating experiences of my life and certainly of my ministry has been the last six months pastoring this church. It has nothing at all to do with you, has nothing at all to do with the people that call Trilogy home, but the fact that we haven't been able to nail down a permanent home for Trilogy, not for lack of looking, not for a lack of options that really some of them made a ton of sense, it almost seems at times like God doesn't want us to have a home sometimes. And it's been frustrating me, and I know it's been frustrating you, and I know that isn't true. God does want us to have a home, and that's why it's been so frustrating. And I know all of us are extremely frustrated by our circumstances. But I wonder if maybe it's because God has been getting in the way of things that seem good because he wants us to have his best. Could God have been stepping in our path and steering us in a different direction? And that's how I've been praying now. I've been praying for wisdom all along. I've asked you to pray for me for wisdom. And that could be exactly what God has given me, to know enough to move on when a door has been shut. But now I'm praying that God would lead me to his best for us. That's my prayer. God, open the door to your best. Not just something, but the something that he's had for us all along. Do you see what I'm saying here? One kind of miracle the Bible shows us is God getting in the way. It's the miracle we don't want. It's the miracle that actually frustrates us. But in the grace of God, sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. Sometimes God has to get in the way to show us the way. And if you are patient enough 
and you're tuned in enough to the Holy Spirit, listening to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will know which path to take. Now, let me tell you what the Lord has been doing in my spirit in these days. Revelation 3.8 has always been one of my favorite promises. It's a place where I stand. You know, that, that you're swimming, you're drowning, you can put your feet down on this one. Revelation 3.8, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. I have placed before you an open door, this verse says. And I'm always praying for open doors because I believe God can open doors that I can't, that you can't. We in our strength can't open them, but God can and God does. And that's what I'm praying as I mentioned up front for our meeting this Wednesday, that God would open a door. It's one of the most wonderful things about being a Christ follower, that he is going to take you to places that you can't go by yourself. Follow his leading and he will lead you in ways that you can't find on your own. Why? Because God has access to those places and we don't. And he'll take you along the miraculous route. But here is what the Lord is doing in my spirit. You can't pray for an open door if you aren't willing to allow God to close a door. You can't pray for an open door if you aren't willing to allow God to close a door. We can be very disingenuous in our prayers, can't we? I mean, we pray for these open doors and then we get so frustrated and upset at God when he closes a door. And what I'm saying is sometimes the miracle is God closing a door, something that made sense, something that seemed perfect. And yet God shut that door. Sometimes that's the miracle so that then God can open the right door for us. It's those closed doors that often set us up for where God wants to lead us. Let me make it personal how God can use you. I think when you read the Bible, you try to put yourself in the shoes of people that you're reading about, right? You know, I often, when I read about how Peter responded to Jesus, I like to put myself in his shoes and wonder how would I have responded? But it's far more difficult to put yourself in the hooves of the people you're reading about because they're not people, right? I mean, it's real hard to get into the head of a donkey. Um, but let's try. I think in this story, it's fascinating to me because the donkey is really the example for us in a lot of ways. And I think what I want to say right here is be the donkey. You need to be the donkey to someone. What I mean by that is sometimes you need someone maybe to be the donkey in your life that keeps you from going where that person knows you should not go. And maybe sometimes you need to be the donkey in someone else's life. And I'd love to use the King James Version here, but I'm going to stick with donkey. Be the donkey. Be the stubborn donkey in someone's life why does the donkey lay down? This is what's so crazy. Because the donkey sees a spiritual reality that Balaam, the great prophet, does not see. And there are times where God is going to allow you, through the gift of discernment, a word of knowledge, these are spiritual gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that God is going to give you a glimpse in this, into the spiritual realm and you're going to see the reality in someone else's life that they're blinded to and they're not able to see it. And we can be blind to some of the most obvious things in our lives. And what we need is someone to get in the way and to help wake us up to reality. Here's the deal. We don't like donkeys that lay down, do we? I mean, when things get in our way, when things prevent us from moving forward, we get frustrated. If you have the courage and you step into the role of the prophetic in someone else's life 
and say, I'm genuinely concerned about where this path is taking you, and you try to halt their progress, I promise you this, they will probably get as ticked off with you as Balaam got with his donkey. But if you hang in there, that donkey saved Balaam's life. He kept him on the path God wanted him on. And at the end of the day, I think Balaam appreciated the donkey even more. Be willing to be the donkey to someone that God has put in your life. Here's where you need to be spirit-led, because I can't really prescribe this. I think sometimes you need to speak love and truth, and sometimes you need to just bray like a donkey and help somebody realize they're going down the wrong path. Sometimes you need to get in the way because you love someone that much. Don't go there. You don't want to do this. I love you too much to not get in the way of this path that you're walking down right now. And at the heart of this story is the simple fact that God can use anyone for anything. And if God can use a dumb donkey, he can use you. Maybe, you know what, turn to someone next to you and say, if God can use a dumb donkey, he can use you. Go ahead, let him hear it. That was a compliment, I promise. Be the donkey. What I'm really saying is be willing to be the miracle in someone else's life. Be willing to be the miracle in someone else's life. Sometimes we're so focused on the miracle that we want, that we need from God, that we totally ignore the miracles that we could be a part of around us. And because of that, sometimes I think we forfeit our own miracles. If we would focus on how we could be part of someone else's miracle, I promise you God would begin to move in miraculous ways, not just through you, but in you. And great things would begin to happen. And I'm not talking about ulterior motives that, you know, this is a deal on the side. Okay, God, I'll focus on them so you can focus on me. God doesn't respond to that. We, we talked about the motivation of the heart when we talked about Balaam in the, in the beginning. This series is way beyond the selfish miracles that we want to fulfill our own desires. This series is all about bringing glory to Jesus. And that happens when we step out in faith and we are a part of someone else's miracle. We give glory to God in the process. That is what God wants for us. One more thing, and I, I want to push us here. I believe we don't experience the miraculous sometimes because we stay in our own comfort zone. We stay where it's comfortable. We stay where we know it. We're afraid of going someplace that is embarrassing or doing something that's out of the ordinary. And because of that, we don't give God room to truly work in our lives. Maybe it's serving someone else or asking someone else to pray for us or responding to a challenge at the end of a sermon and being willing to let others know that God is doing something in our lives or speaking up at our neighborhood group during the week and asking them to hold you accountable to something that God is showing you. And because you're putting yourself in a place where you are needy, admitting you can't do it alone, we hate that because most of us are control freaks. And we don't want to let other people know that we don't have it all together all the time. But I want to tell you something. This series is less about God doing miracles and more about putting ourselves in positions where God can do miracles in us. I want to tell you that putting yourself in an awkward position is sometimes putting yourself in a miraculous position. Sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to put yourself in a place where you feel a little bit awkward. There have been times where I've been afraid to pray for things. There's been times where I've been afraid to, afraid to pray for someone, to pray for miracles, because I feel like I will be embarrassed if God doesn't answer. 
How many of you have been there? Probably almost all of us have been there. Where we just, we get kind of caught up in our own prideful self. And that's the enemy trying to keep us silent. That's the enemy trying to keep us from doing the work that God has called us to do. When Jesus said, greater things than these you will do. My followers will do things beyond what I have done. And that blows my mind. That Jesus said, we will accomplish greater things than he. The dude raised the dead. He healed blind people. And yet Jesus said, we will do greater things. But if we would have the courage to put ourselves in that place, stepping beyond where we're comfortable, God would do some amazing things. Let me end with verse 35. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I will tell you. And this is where it's interesting to me. He's like, I'm going to kill you for going, but you can go. I mean, what is going on? Do you really think that Balaam, after this encounter with the angel of the Lord, do you really think that Balaam went with Balak's mission or emissaries with the same spirit or attitude or in the same way? No, he was a different dude now. Not after he had a conversation with the talking donkey and more importantly, after he saw the angel of the Lord, Balaam's going with a new heart. And that's why God urges him forward. And here's what I'm trying to say. When Balaam went, it wasn't about the talking donkey. It was about the change that took place in his heart. That's where the true miracle took place. It was about what God was doing inside of Balaam. And I want to end on this thought. God is far less concerned with where we are going than who we are becoming. God is far less concerned with where we are going than who we are becoming. Where Balaam was going never changed. But who he was as he went did a complete 180. It's not about getting to where God wants us to go. It's about becoming the person that he wants us to be when we get there. That was the miracle. And if we will become the people who are sensitive to his Holy Spirit, that when he says stop, we stop. And when he says go, we go. And when we try to make sure we're going to do this with the right spirit and we keep our attitudes in check, we keep it all for his glory and not our own. Not about me cursing Israel to get some cash from Balak but it's really about not going beyond his word, nothing more and nothing less. When we put ourselves in that place, we put ourselves in a place where God can do the miraculous in us and through us. That's what I pray becomes reality for us. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and the power of the promises that are found within it. God, I pray that you would help us to stand on those promises. God, let those promises that are found in the scriptures be the foundation that we stand on when we're going through difficulty, when we're celebrating great victories, when we're falling apart. God, let our feet always be rooted in the promises of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to experience the miraculous on a daily basis, that the miraculous would become normal for us to experience because we're believing you for it on a regular basis. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to go forward in this life with the right motivation that's driving us. And God, if we get off track, would you correct us? And God, let us have eyes that are open to see those things that you place 
in our way. And God, if we miss it, God, would you send, send a donkey to stop us? Send people that care enough to get in our way and to block us and to lay down underneath us and say, no, you have to stop. And God, help us to have discerning eyes and discerning hearts. God, to see those moments in the lives of our family and our friends and, and in our trilogy family. And if we see somebody that's going down the wrong path, that God, this is, this is gonna be harmful to them. This is gonna destroy them potentially. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to speak up, but God, to speak what you show us and help us to, to have ears that are sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. God, as we do this and as we get willing to, to get out of our comfort zones, and move maybe in ways and ask for things and have a boldness that maybe we've never had before, God, let us see the miraculous unfold in our lives, in our families, and in our churches. God, we love you. We thank you. Be with us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.